Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman, but not in person. Uh, I am live from Phoenix Suns Arena. Kevin Zimmerman, banned for life, unfortunately. Just tough break for you, Kev, right on the eve of the finals. Just lifetime <laughs> ban. I'm just reading Twitter like everyone else. Just <laughs> It's not doom scrolling, but everyone's whining about how the Suns fans' chants were too good and helped Giannis or something. I don't know. What? Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm glad I wasn't there. I was joking, of course. I always have to clarify when I make a joke that extreme. You have not been banned. You were just not uh, able to get in the building, unfortunately, tonight, which sucks and is a bummer. But what doesn't suck and isn't a bummer is us still being able to podcast after due to the power of technology. Uh, I'm in a random suite that I have found in the suite level of Phoenix Suns Arena. You are at home. And we're going to talk about the Suns game one victory in the NBA Finals, a 118-105 victory. Um, man, uh, where do you want to start, Kevin? I, I think it's kind of obvious to start with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, but actually, I asked you where we want to start, and I forgot that I had an idea of where we wanted to start. The Suns <laughs> are now 4-0 in game ones in the postseason. Where do you rank this in terms of your confidence level for the Suns going forward in the series compared to those three previous game one wins? Um, that's a good question. I think it has to be behind Denver, but ahead of the two LA series. I, I just think, I mean, I, I want to put it number one, but I know that the Bucks will be more competitive than the Nuggets. Um, and just how they use the phrase a lot, so I'll use it, locked in, they looked. I mean, everything was clicking. You know, some shots didn't go down. They got what they wanted. They attacked what they wanted. They defended very well. And, you know, for Giannis playing suddenly, it didn't really – appear to matter to them and that speaks to their locked in their preparation whatever cliche you want to use and he's probably not 100 percent, but i I just think that they were ready to go they're playing a team that uh, i i know those guys talked about they had a quick nap or maybe six to eight hours at home before they shipped back off again to a new series so maybe that's that and maybe we get a different looking bucks team once they kind of settle in for game two but i just thought the suns were just clicking on all cylinders right uh to your point and, and what you're saying the stat that stands out to me the most that that displays that was that the suns only had 18 assists and they actually uh lost that category if you're looking at team stats up and down milwaukee at 21 and 15 of those 18 assists were Chris or Devin. There weren't like a couple Jay Crowder assists in there or DeAndre or Mikel, Cam, uh, I believe. I'll just look at it right now since I mentioned that. The two other assists were Cam Johnson, and then there was one for Mikel Bridges, and then nine for Chris Paul, six for Devin Booker. And I think that was because the primary read was working so often and the individual creation at the start of a possession or whenever the possession was going underway was there right away. 
that you talk about like first read, second read, third read, the first read was pretty much there all night for them um, offensively in terms of either the pass that those two were kicking out of or the shot that they were creating. Um, and, and that just really showed the work that the Bucks have to do, but also just the point that Zach Lowe wrote about two, three weeks ago about how the Suns offense is just so complex in its pick and roll game. And it's so just great that there's only so much you can do to defend it and take away and to take away certain things. And really the bottom line about this game, Kevin, is that when Chris Paul and Dem Booker are fully clicking to that extent all game in terms of the way they're seeing the floor, hitting difficult shots, that kind of thing, there really is no defense, right defense to play against them, but you just have to be really, really good in all other areas in order to even be in the game. And the only reason that this game was close was because Chris Middleton went nuts at the end of the third quarter and, and part of the fourth quarter, and then the Bucks shot 45% from three. Other than that, it, it would have been a complete um, blowout in the fourth quarter, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, man, I don't think the Bucks did a good job on Paul and Booker, and I think they'll make changes. Um, yeah. The, the, the most obvious thing is just – they need to hedge. Um, they can't. I know Book had eight, was eight for 21, one of eight from three. He didn't shoot great. But just when I looked at that, I was surprised because it felt like he was just in mad control of this game, getting to where his spots, getting what he wanted, and, and the free throw 10 of 10, getting to the rim a lot too, or getting fouled. Um, I think that plus Chris Paul just went berserk after he kind of got up to a quiet start. Um, they're getting to his, their spots and they need to consider hedging, you know, throwing two guys out because I thought we talked about it a million times, the Lakers and the Nuggets and the Clippers did a really good job on book, making him pass out of tough double teams, making other guys make those, like you said, second, third reads and passes. I, I think those teams, obviously the Suns beat them, but I thought they had a good bet to get book out of a rhythm. So if you get into late in the game, maybe he misses a shot. Um, but this just didn't even get to that point where it was close. So I think they need to talk about their pick and roll stuff. Um, not just switching and let the Suns blatantly attack Bobby Portis and, and Brooke Lopez make them kind of think a little deeper. Um, Cause at, at the end of the day, it comes down to that. If if you're if you and I can pick out what they're doing, and the average fan, casual fan, can be like, oh, like Chris Paul sees Bobby Portis and just is like, let's plays done. We're going. I'm going at him. Like that's that's too easy for a team in the NBA Finals. Yeah, spot on. And I um I wrote a preview piece uh, the morning of uh, today of the game just kind of analyzing, looking through the statistics for the playoffs for these teams and seeing what were going to be swing areas just compared to their statistical profiles going into the series. And what really stood out for Milwaukee was that they had turned into an elite offensive rebounding team. They were really getting in the paint and they were creating a lot of points off second chances. They only had three second chance points tonight. Um, offensive rebounds in the game as a whole, I believe, were nine to six in favor of the Bucks. So they weren't creating a ton more shots. In fact, the shot attempts in this game were even. Uh, both teams attempted 88. And then if you take the Suns free throw advantage, which was something else I mentioned, is that these were two of the three worst teams in the playoffs with free throw rate. So if one team is able to get to the line a lot more than the other, 
Um, that is an edge that team is not necessarily used to having. And we're talking about two of the best teams in the NBA, the two best teams in the NBA, in my opinion, right now, Kevin. Um, I can confidently say that with the way that they played in this game overall and just the way they played to get here. So you're talking about a team that good getting an extra edge somewhere they're not used to. For the Suns tonight, it was at the foul line. Uh, and, and I just think Milwaukee's identity in terms of the way they play and, and everything, it just looked like they couldn't really get into it. And I think that's been one of the biggest problems with them as a team is that they were bottom five in the league in assists this year, I believe, or assist percentage somewhere in the bottom 10. Uh, and they've had a stagnant offense at times throughout the season. And when the Suns offense is clicking like that, you just cannot afford to be that stagnant offensively. And I think we saw that a couple of times with Middleton and Holiday in particular in the first half weren't creating really good looks for themselves. Middleton got hot in the second half, but I thought Holiday had a brutal game. And and there's just margin for error in, in these types of games where I mentioned the free throw disparity, the, the second chance points not being there. The Bucks really weren't able to clean up in other areas. Like their shooting was the only thing that was really helping them kind of get back in the game. Yeah, and to go off Holiday's bad game – I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think Booker was on him most of the time, and uh, I brought this the up. Number, I, the yeah. number was that Middleton and Holiday combined to shoot 0 for 9 when they were defended by Booker. He was he was very good defensively tonight. Good stat to back me up. Thanks. I, I just thought um, I, I brought it up in the Denver series when he was guarding Composo, which people are going to shrug. Um, Book was on Holiday, I think, lots of the time playing awesome defense, energy, activity, um, won a lot of attacks, um, didn't foul or get into foul trouble, I believe. So I just think that needs to go into consideration when you look at how good he played. I mean, I'm I'm going to ride this, and I'm going to just say, like, Book probably should be MVP, and I know that that has one game of the series into it, but just – when you look at every other series, how much defenses pay attention to him, let Chris Paul do his thing. Um, I mean, Marcus Morris attacked him one game maybe on defense, but other than that, it's been consistent. Whether he has bad games or good, um, to me, that's what MVPs mean. And like Chris Paul can average 35 in this, and I still might not change that opinion. I agree with you, friend, and we can hold hands in the middle of the highway when the 18-wheeler narrative of Chris Paul runs us both over and wins him him MVP because just, like, the amount of questions about him after the game anyway, I was like, oh, man, like, this is just um, turning kind of a a bit. Yeah. Yeah, he was amazing in this game, but it's just like – and he is the story of the finals, to be clear, like, of everyone. It's obviously him and – you guys have heard me talk about a lot on the podcast this year and me just talking about it during the trade. Like he's, he's one of my favorite basketball players ever. And I was just so excited to be able to watch him. I, I didn't even care if I did it as like a ball boy or whatever. Like I just was really excited to get to watch him every night. Um, so I'm the last person to, to say that kind of thing uh, with that kind of intent. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought book was just, I thought he was the best player on the floor tonight. And we we've gone this far without talking about Deandre, which speaks to, the role that he's taking on and how it works for him. I thought he had a really, he just a really smart guy. And I, I thought it was, it was a really open and um, open response in a way you wouldn't expect when he was asked uh, by Dwayne Rankin, when do you feel like you were really like 
in the zone, making your imprint on the game. And he said it was early in the game when Chris and Devin were scoring so much off of ball screens because he felt like the angles he was setting and the way that he was adjusting to the different coverages they were running, he felt like he was really in the zone there. So you're talking about a guy who was the number one overall pick and then that whole blah, 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 all that stuff. The thing that stood out to him and how he felt like he was really implementing himself on the game was his the way he was screening for his guards. Um, yeah. He was awesome in this game. He had 20 points, I believe, 22, uh, and, and 19 rebounds. Rebounding was a is a huge part of this series and is going to continue to be. I mean, you look at the rebounding total, it's crazy that he had 19 and the Suns were still minus four on the glass. That's just th- the way the Bucks have been during this postseason. They just maul the glass as a team. Um, Brooke Lopez had five offensive rebounds on his own. Giannis had 17 uh, for himself uh, overall. But he was he was just really really good in this game, and I think that it was it it's just a great confidence booster for him. Not that he needed one, Kevin, but this was a game where Giannis wasn't in full go mode the entire game, and for DeAndre to it wasn't even that he won that matchup because it wasn't really a matchup between the two. But for him to get this type of performance in game one just bodes really well for the Suns with the job that he has to do going forward, assuming Giannis is able to attack more later in the series. Yeah, I think after it was really after that chase down block of Giannis on Mikhail that it, maybe he just his legs got in under him and he got a little tired or something. And you look up, he has 20 and 17, four assists, two steals, a block. Um, I would expect that he's going to get stronger. Um, hopefully his knee holds up for the sake of him, because I was a little afraid going into this for just. I don't want him to do worse things to his knee, but he looked good. Um, running through eight in that one play was the sign, and I just think maybe his legs got tired. But I, I would expect he's going to start getting more into attack mode. He only took 11 shots. I know he got to the free throw line quite a bit. but Well, and that- then in the first quarter, Kevin, the way that he was scoring was a reminder of – and what I said to Cam Cox when we were talking about the game uh, beforehand, I was like – Look, this Jokic thing, when, when DeAndre got in foul trouble against Jokic, like, you could still like send doubles Jokic's way, and I know his passing is amazing, but Giannis is just a, a tank. Like He'll score through anyone. You can't really double him because of the spacing they have. So DeAndre yeah. needs to stay out of foul trouble. And in that first quarter, even when they were trying a little bit of different stuff on him and he was able to still get through DeAndre, it just reminded you how uh, unstoppable he is, just, just to your point. like We saw that version of him early. It just went away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they tried to throw that weird, it looked like Clipperstone almost um, kind of matchup. He just to throw him off a few possessions here or there, which was an interesting wrinkle. We'll see if we see that more. Um, it had a breakdown or two, but yeah, I, I thought they did a good job on him. DA did. And really Middleton was the only guy who really got going. Um, Brooke Lopez, I, I think you can, take those offensive rebounds and say, we'll give you those if Jay Crowder is boxing you out because DA is on um, Giannis and that kind of thing. So that's, that's going to be something to watch. Um, the loss of Dario, which we should probably mention, not good. I, I think he could have been important in this series just because he can bang with Lopez. Um, at least, be hidden on guys like PJ Tucker. So that's going to be an interesting twist. And Monty obviously went small most of the time on this one and gave Tori Greg those minutes, but yeah, that's, that's another interesting 
thing we'll see for game two as well. Yeah, Dario's a big um, – you just talk about – I, I want to use the term complete offensive player, but then people are going to think I'm drunk. But what I mean by him being a complete offensive player in terms of what you want out of a role player against a team that switches this much for a big specifically, he can shoot and space the floor. He can he knows how to move the ball and knows how to do it quickly. And then if you put a guard on him, we saw it in some of the in that Lakers game in the regular season, he can punish mismatches like that. And Book is the first guy on the floor who will like point to the block, like point Dario to the block and say, Go to work down there. You've got Bryn Forbes on you. Um and he could have he could have been a really important part of the series if he's out. Uh we'll see. I mean, it's not good whenever it's a knee injury like that and he's immediately ruled out. And It'll be interesting to see where Monty goes from there in terms of what did he do in the second half exactly? I wasn't paying attention enough. Did Kaminsky get out there? I don't even remember. This game was a blur. Did he only play four minutes in the first? I'm assuming that was all in the first. But. Yeah, Kaminsky only played four minutes in the first. So whenever whenever DeAndre rested in the second half, if he did, he might have even played the whole second half. I'm not really sure. I'm actually going to – oh, I don't want to just leave this point empty because it's actually big in terms of what we're talking about. So DeAndre – played I believe the entire second half it looks like which isn't it crazy that they have a center who can just do that okay so Jay Crowder came in for him um, with a minute gone in the fourth quarter so at, at some point it was Torrey Craig or Jay Crowder playing the playing the five for about three minutes DeAndre came back in for Torrey uh, yeah. three minutes later so that, that's probably what they're going to look to do. I get throwing Kaminsky back in there because Monty made that decision as he saw Brooke Lopez check back in, which makes sense. But then you remember, yeah, Brooke Lopez is the Nets' all-time leading scorer and is like a bucket and will just give them problems in the post. And I was surprised at how, and I've been surprised in the past couple of games, how easily the Bucks have transitioned into making him a, more, a bigger part of the offense. That's not an easy thing to do when you reduce a guy's role like that and then try and bring him back in just from a team perspective of being aware and giving the guy the ball. Um, they've been good at that, and I expect that to be even more of a um, thing that they look to attack later in the series, especially with with the, the honest knee concerns and everything we talked about before the series. Uh, Kevin, I made this observation in the Western Conference Finals, and it comes back again tonight to the thought of, man – Paying campaign might be difficult knowing the fact of how much money you're going to have to pay Cam Johnson the summer after. Um, every team wants a wing like that. I I would have to look at a list, but I imagine at least half the teams in the league he would start for with the caliber of player we're seeing right now. Uh, and for a guy in his second year to start playing the best basketball of his life so far in the Western Conference Finals and then the NBA Finals, um, is pretty crazy. I mean, we're talking about like dribble pull-ups from the mid-range, Kevin. Like, kid is fearless and just really well-rounded and poised and just is like everything that they're about. Wow, yeah. I mean, there was what? He ripped Giannis ISO posting him. He moved his feet on another play. I think it was against Giannis. Just the right shots, the right, you know, fire away threes. Um Two steals, yeah. I mean, I did I tweet this or did I pull it back? But I'll say it now where, like, they're going to have to make a decision on Mikel Bridges and suddenly Cam Johnson might have something to make them say, okay, no, we're not giving you that much money. Like, that's going to come up this offseason if he keeps playing that way. Um, 
Yeah, and I didn't mean to say that in terms of campaigns gone, but I'm saying when you start to really think long-term about giving campaign three years, whatever, and the fact that you know Cam Johnson's salary in two years is going to go to this, you know what I mean? Like, it's those decisions become tougher. I'm sorry, I was talking about Cam Johnson, but same no, thing. Yeah, no, I, I meant both of them. I meant both of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, both of them played out of their minds just the right place. Um that's that's why this team is I, I thought I don't know anyone played bad necessarily. Even Frank had a really good possession where they tried to go at him in his four minutes. I mean, Jay Crowder went 0 of eight. I guess you could say he played poorly, but he had the best plus minus at plus nineteen and had nine boards a block. So I, I don't think anyone had a bad game today. No, I, I don't think anyone did. Um Outside of the obvious, which I'm going to hit on in words tomorrow in terms of what you were talking about with hedging, maybe some blitzing and trapping, throwing uh, Chris and Devin's way. Uh, I was impressed but not surprised by the resilience the Bucks showed, but what's one thing you're looking at for game two in terms of what can change from, from their end specifically because the Suns played just about pretty tremendous overall? Yeah, I, I think the hedging will be an interesting thing to see if they do that, but kind of relatedly um i mean chris paul his post game on tv and post game with you guys just him talking about pace and getting up the floor and him having to be better about that and he made fun of himself like i'm an old head i walk it up that type of thing i i'm interested if the bucks try to i mean it might be as simple as transition defense i didn't see what their pressers really said what bud said but just if they really want to start like putting pressure on the backcourt, little things just to get that pace a little bumped off and calmed down because I thought the Suns were playing fast and they weren't really um, getting in the way of their offense just to start it, let alone contesting shots and that kind of thing. So I think that's one thing where there's obvious effort and little tweaks that they can make to just get the Suns a little off rhythm. Yeah, and the worst sign maybe for the Bucks in this series is back to the point on DeAndre. If you look at like the role players for this team um, in terms of where there could be some volatility, like you're expecting Jay Crowder to be inconsistent shooting. It just is what it is. But you're talking about the two cams, DeAndre and Mikel. All four of them had pretty good games tonight and just a good building block foundation kind of thing for them going forward in the series. Like, those guys getting rolling at the start of the series, I think is really going to matter. And I wouldn't, I'm not going to be surprised and would expect honestly, at least two or three of them to have a really good series overall, just because of the way they were able to start in this series. Um, all right. Uh, we'll be back after game two. I'm going to go home and uh, watch some clone wars before I go to bed. Kevin, are you proud of me? I finally started it. Yeah. You got to catch up. We're on bad batch already dog. Yeah. Uh, for listeners who don't know, Kevin's a huge star Wars fan. I, he mentioned I talked to him about the Bad Batch show on Disney Plus a while ago and was like, yo, what should I do to watch this? He's like, oh, go Clone Wars. It's pretty good. And uh, Kevin, uh, droids being stupid and just saying really dumb stuff and then their heads being blown off. It. I don't know how many episodes that shows goes and how many seasons, but I, it'll never get old to me. It could go over 200 episodes of them being dumb and I'm there. I just love people being dumb and looking dumb doing it. Well, you're in for a treat then because it's a pretty long series. I'm very excited. Do you think this will be a long series to cut it there? What oh. did your did your thought on um, 
the length of the series change in any way? Are you thinking closer to four games than seven, or uh, are you still in the same batch? I'm still around I'm, six or seven. Yeah, I'm still at six. I'm edging a little more toward five, um, but yeah, I, I'll stick with six. I don't like changing it. I'll eat it. Me, me too. It's been one game. I don't want to overreact too much after one game, but I'm with you in this being – a little bit more indicative than the Clippers and the Lakers series in terms of what could uh, happen the rest of the way. And we'll be talking about it here on the podcast. We'll talk to you after game two. Goodbye.